0: James. Duncan. How are you, dude? Well
1: today. Thanks. How are you going, mate?
0: I'm well. I'm looking forward to today's chat um, because... I think it's quite cool. (laughs) Um, James and I um, sort of recommend um, a different topic each week. We take it in turns. Um, And this week's my turn. So obviously I'm way more excited than when I have to talk about whatever the hell James wants to talk about. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. So I'm sorry about the last podcast. Clearly it was boring and the topic was poor. And this one's clearly going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so this was initially meant to be on Keegan's theory of adult development. Um, Keegan is a ex-Harvard developmental psychologist. Uh, so he was a professor there. I believe he's now retired or Professor Emeritus. Um, and um, I've seen his framework referred to a few times. Uh, I bought the book, which is called In Over Our Heads. Um, and either I'm not developed enough to really understand or I found the book very hard to access. Access. God, I can't even speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, basically, I wasn't able to access what he was saying in a very tangible level. Like,
1: Would kind it be cons- fair to say you were in over your head?
0: Yeah, exactly right. right. Um, or, yeah, I need someone to help drag me up, clearly, because my developmental you know, progress is, 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 is retarded. Um, now, that's <laughs> actually not a politically incorrect use of that word. Um, that's actually a fair use of that word um so yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um look I hope it's pretty clear that you can develop over your life um and you were born um and you couldn't walk and you couldn't talk it's not like someone was born and they were going to be a doctor and someone else was born and they were going to be uh, I don't know artist um so an example of this you sort of see seen this James um there is an example of a, a, a girl who was born and then her parents were alcoholics in the Ukraine and they basically neglected her and then she went and lived in the dog kennel with their dogs and then she didn't get any time really with humans until she was like 14 and she was crawling around on all fours uh, eating food using her mouth and using you know her tongue not using her hand to feed barking she couldn't speak um, and a whole lot of other things and so her development had been materially affected because she hadn't had human interaction she'd only had dog interaction and so I suppose I'm bringing this up because it's an example of the fact that your environment uh it makes a big difference but also you can develop and if you spend time developing um, you do and if you don't
1: you don't mm. so I think one of the really um I guess impactful takeaway from not just Keegan theory but um, you know, what this, what what these, uh, I guess, developmental frameworks reveal is that our minds are not just repositories of knowledge. We don't just acquire information and just store it like, you know, a hard drive. There's actually some cognitive um, transitions or transformations going on here. And so what this has helped me understand is that there, we are, um, throughout our lives, and if um, I understand it correctly. You you go through each of these steps in order to get to the final step. So at any point in our life, we're at um, a certain level of this cognitive development. So I think I thought that was actually a really really good place for me to try and make sense of. Well, uh, you know, at what level am I thinking currently, and how have I uh, I guess evolved the way that I think over time.
0: Totally. Um... So there's a saying that I like, which is, smart is not something you are, smart is something you get. And in some places, this is really clearly seen. So if you've never played a sport before, you're going to be pretty bad at it. But then the more you do it, the better you get. And if people sort of accept this. Um, if you know, you've know you never done, I don't know, maths before, you're going to be pretty bad at it, but you're going to get better. And so I think this happens everywhere and you can development. Develop in any area, uh, whether it's language, whether it's comedy, like you're not born funny or not funny, um, whether it's creativity, uh, whether it's empathy. Um, so, again, um, you're born basically able to do nothing <laughs> and then you kind of get better and better at things. And so, this applies everywhere. And I suppose the key point I wanted to sort of make, and this is something that I didn't really realize, is I don't know, even a few years ago, your development is uncapped as far as your mind is concerned, in my opinion. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to jump 100 times higher than I can jump now. But but can I, for instance, learn 100 times more than I have now of general knowledge? Can I be 100 times better problem solver? Can I be 100 times better communicator? Can I be 100 times better at empathy? I think the answer is yes.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, um, there's definitely, in any sense, even in the... um, like, I, I think one argument for forward is that the laws of diminishing returns also allow for uh, infinite development, like, you know, the one over X curve, you never get to zero. Put it inversely, is that you're always improving. Um, but I think what's really, uh, like, I guess, revealing for me, going back to, um, you know, all models are wrong, but some <laughs> are helpful. <laughs> I find this really helpful because. What this kind of does is puts a lens on understanding from your early childhood. So, you know, like Duncan said, when you're first born, um, you move into a point where you develop a sense of self or, or where things are simply, I guess, made sense of by the way in which you interact with the world. And so I think there was a, there's a makeup between what are your, um, your genetics. Uh, like in terms of what has been programmed into you by your biology, what is your socio-cultural in terms of what has been programmed into you socially by either your parents, your family, or your community. Uh, and then there's, this, I guess, this final sense of agency, which is what are you um, deciding for yourself? And then in the beginning, it's mostly biology and culture. But over time, as the brain develops, there is this opportunity for the brain to start taking over the majority of what it is that makes up how you actually think if that makes sense
0: yeah um i think it is possible it's not necessary that everyone does this so for instance i don't know elon musk is not twice as good at innovating as you are he's probably a thousand times as good ada lovelace who made the first computer program it's not twice as good at innovation as you are it's probably a thousand times as good jk rowling's probably not twice as good at Writing as you are, she's a thousand times as good. There are some areas, like again, I'm not going to be able to jump a thousand times higher. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to do a thousand times more math problems in a minute. But there are some areas where I sort of feel that the human mind is f- relatively uncapped. Mm. Um, and so you can cultivate indefinitely in certain areas. Now, maybe there is a limit. But I just don't think we're even remotely close to approaching it. Whereas I think from a physiological perspective, you know, I don't know, some humans aren't going to be able to get a thousand times stronger, you know, you know, than, than what they're already sort of close to the limit. Mm. And the key sort of base level or foundational level element is language. Uh, so there's a lot of research on this. Um, but... Every subject... Now, we speak English, or some of us would say that perhaps not very good English, but... (laughs) Not very well, Duncan, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They say first you learn to read, then you read to learn. So, if you can't read you're not learning very much now again you might be learning some physical thing like i don't know how to do a job that entails physical output uh but you know 90 of us were farmers 200 years ago now in a developed country 1.3 percent of farmers so almost all the farm jobs are gone and the ones that are left it's like driving a tractor or something you're not actually physically tilling the the soil with your hands so language is kind of the foundation and then at school if it's a it's a country that's in english every subject is in english unless you're learning another language (laughs) so so whether you're doing english or science or maths or history, it's in English. And so, one of the most interesting studies that I saw um, is that basically, all else equal, the more words you know, the better your mental health. Now, again, you know, this is on average the more words you know, the better you learn. The more words you know, the better your life satisfaction outcomes.
1: Mm. Mm. Yes, this reminds me of a discussion between, um, I think it was Sam Harris and Scott Adams, where, um, we, they talked about how, uh, and this would also related to Neuralink in, um, in what they're doing with the brain. But the word Neuralink
0: is e- Elon Musk's brain human human brain interface startup Just...
1: project. Yeah, yeah. How we're going to beat AI? We're going to become AI. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it talks about how words are like tools in your shed, and the more tools you have, um, the better opportunity you have to being able to solve problems. Um, But with that in mind, you know, you can be like myself and have this, you know, the biggest shed with all the tools in the world in them. But if you don't know how to use them, then they're not going to be much use. So that's where it talks about um, the brain's ability to, um, you know, have abstraction, uh, reason, and uh, interpretation of all of the words or all the tools in your repository. But um, it then goes to the next point to say that Like, you know, cognitively, right now, we think in words. It's like, and you just do this exercise where you imagine, like, you know, somebody from Japan is literally thinking in Japanese words. And it just sounds so (laughs) obscene that you can't even fathom how that works. But um, in your subconscious, you're not thinking in words, you're thinking in symbols or in abstract. And the words are actually then tied to those symbols or those abstractions in order to make sense of them. So... Not necessarily.
0: Point. You don't have to be able to, like,
1: well, in, you,
0: you don't think in, like, letters in your head. You, you think in the word, the concept.
1: Yeah, so you're not thinking,
0: like, um, not the necessarily pointer. the symbol, like, I don't know, the Japanese, you know, symbols. No, no, for sorry.
1: I'm not meaning symbols in terms of the actual physical representation of a letter. I mean symbols in terms of, like, far more, um, like, so I think um, Piaget's notion of a schema. You did really good bit, there. Hey?
0: Piaget, I think you
1: did really well. I Google the I Google pronunciation. I Google the pronunciation. Piaget.
0: Piaget. Here's another developmental psychologist. I think two of the most prominent ones with the, the frameworks is Robert Keegan and Piaget. Yeah. Um, so
1: yeah. Um, little side note: if I don't start to learn from these mistakes that I'm in pronunciation, then there really is no help for me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if I see a name like Piaget, I'm going to do google or youtube the name and then you get the pronunciation um so a symbol is like a schema which is a building block of knowledge um okay so i've gone off a little bit on off track here but there's words and then your there's your ability to tie those words to a set of schemas if that helps
0: totally um so uh, words are solutions to problems mm-hmm. so if you know another word, you have another thought. So if you've never heard Schadenfreude, which is a German word, which I'm sure I've mispronounced, which is taking pleasure in others' pain. So you see someone like walk into a wall and then you laugh rather than feeling sorry for them. Oh, <laughs> um, oh,
1: oh Schadenfreude. Oh. Yeah, did I, I'm sure I didn't. Yeah,
0: so, um, so, so, so this gives you a new thought. So when you think, you don't think in some sort of feeling and translate to, into words. You think in words. So the more words you have, the more thoughts you have. And this is kind of the inheritance from previous generations. They have more and more words. Um, so English, they say, has about a million words. And I don't know who the hell f- figured that out, but it's growing really fast. And part of that is because we've now got the internet and other things. And um, I saw this study that German, uh, sorry, English has four times as many words as German. Uh, and one of the reasons that English is growing the fastest is the sort of world's um, academic language. If you're doing a PhD or whatever, it's in English. It doesn't matter if you're in a Spanish-speaking country, or a German-speaking country, or a you know Japanese-speaking country, um, and so more culture and more new you know uh, you know words are being created, or more you know texts etc. in English, and so this is I think a pure joy. You get to access so much information uh, from other people. Mm. And so, I think what James is saying is that words by themselves, if you know one word uh, you can join them together into a sentence, and this can mean more and then you can make that sentence into a research paper into a book um, so basically, you can develop um, and I kind of thought that you had mastered English and you know you did that by the time you finished school, but now I'm like, nah, you, you never you know finished being able to grow in mastering language, and mm-hmm. language is what everything is in yeah. so science is just a language in you know, science. It might be have an equation, a chemical equation, but it's the yeah. same
1: sort of thing. Yeah, it, 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 it's true, it never ends, but it, it can also work the other way in terms of uh, obtaining new words can reshape your understanding of the world around you. So uh, take, for example, um, a little anecdote uh, I took great pleasure in sharing with Duncan for the first time a couple of weeks ago, which is that the Eskimo language has 12 or 13 no, words. 50, 50. 50. Okay, there you go. It's 50 words for snow. Ice. So, you know, for any typical English-speaking person, when we think of snow, we think of one single element or one single form, which is snow. But if you talk to an Eskimo, they can see 50 different variations of that single concept, which is... Mind-blowing, because (laughs) you think snow is snow, like it's frozen water and it falls from the sky, that's about as far as it needs to go. Uh, But there's actually a whole lot more level of nuance behind that that can actually, well, I guess in a sense, important enough for people who live in the snow to be able to identify 50 different versions of it. And to be able to think of anything that you might have a single dimension to Like, you know, Duncan is a friend, right? So what does it mean to be a friend? Is it the same kind of meaning to all of your friends? Like, just to be able to say like, well, this is someone who um, is a person that I engage with socially, therefore they are a friend. Well, we have, you know, I guess, variations of that. But just by thinking about how you can actually break that down to a, a, a second or third level of detail expands exponentially the more words you know the more thoughts you have
0: um so i think the main thing we wanted to get onto today is to basically you can turn words into values um and one definition i like of a good life is making your own values and living by them james sort of touched on this before society has its values at the time so for instance 200 years ago there were public hangings in england and i think there are about 200 reasons why someone could be hanged publicly now they have no capital punishment so values have shifted and you can inherit the values of society at the time. Um, or you can choose to make your own ones. And so this is sort of a taxonomy that I built. Uh, so level one, uh, this would be like 15-year-old Duncan. I am not aware of the rules and principles of the values that soci- permeate the society that I live in. I was kind of just sort of not even aware. Number two, I am aware of them. And I either passively or actively choose to you know, conform to those principles. Um and so one of the things, you know, great Gandhi quote is that you should be the change you want to see. Uh, and part of this, you know, civil disobedience is actually a positive thing if you think that the existing values aren't correct and they need to change. You should protest, as an example, if you think something should change. Um, or, and that's a way to hopefully have that change occur. Um, maybe there's another avenue. Not protest is the only avenue, but you shouldn't just always take what it is. And you see things. So, for instance, in Australia recently, they... they um, approved same-sex marriage um which you know i don't know society 50 years ago on average thought it you know wasn't the right value to have but now it's illegal
1: in tasmania up until the late 90s homosexuality that is
0: (laughs) Um, so yeah level one you don't know what the values are level two you basically passively or actively embrace them as they are the status quo level three you've pushed back on some parts of the standard story and so this is important like if you I don't know, born in Salt Lake City in America, sort of the, the center of Mormonism. you probably feel that polygamy, as in multiple wives is cool. <laughs> and if you're not born there, you may not think it's cool. If you're born in Pakistan, you're probably a Muslim. You know, if you're born in America, you're probably a Christian. And so people think that they make a whole lot of these active choices, but it's so deeply affected by what's around you. Um, and I suppose I didn't really realize that. <laughs> uh, I just kind of thought, oh yeah. The way we do things is right and some other country that does it differently is wrong. You know, what what a, what? a high level of understanding. So level three is you've pushed back on certain parts. So you might say, look, no, I think we should have same-sex marriage. And now that's, you know, part of, in Australia at least, um, sort of law. Then level four is there are multiple stories and you pick and choose the bits from each story that work for you. And then level five is you're starting to create your own values um, and not just taking from existing doctrines that exist. And then level six is you're helping people move up those things and so again words the more words you know (laughs) the more thoughts you have Mm. words can turn into values values stories narratives they are sort of the same thing and then these things affect how you live your life Mm. and so i thought we'd basically go through and look at different parts of our lives out of this but before i do i thought
1: i'd pause and see what
0: thoughts James has.
1: Okay, so there's a whole lot of stuff to unpack here and I think that's going to be more than enough for us to dissect over the uh, remaining time that we have in this uh, relatively short discussion. Um, because it's a great topic. Why? Because yeah. I chose the topic. Yeah, that's oh, right,
0: that's right. right. <laughs> I have the best words. Yeah, um, <laughs> go, on, yeah. go on, uh, I'm not a fan of Trump. Let me go. Anyways, we <laughs>
1: um, Okay, so I think there's, uh, I guess, a couple of things to, to to I can just call into uh, the frame here. Uh, so looking at the five or six, you include the one where you tried to level other people up. Um, it's a really uh, I guess good framework in terms of trying to understand how you can get to a point of I guess sustaining self agency or to be at a level where you are fully informed enough to be able to make your own decisions on what it is that you value in life and how you want to live by those values. Um, I guess the first point that I want to try and make is that uh, there are some tendencies, at least I've seen them in myself, to kind of skip levels. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that um, sometimes when you find an ideology that you immediately resonate with, People can adopt that ideology, thinking that is actually part of their own core value set, but, but without truly understanding it. So that was the first point. That I Could I just
0: to that. jump in and say one thing here quickly? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I went from level one. I wasn't aware of any of the rules. I was just kind of drifting. And I think this happens. You know, you're born. You're not able to walk or talk. Um. You know, let alone sort of have thoughts about values. And then I go from like, oh my god, there's a value. Like I don't know, equality. Or, or something like this. And then you're like, you've heard this thing once. You're like, that makes sense. I can see a place where there isn't equality. Oh, my God. And you kind of get on your sort of, um, I don't know, soapbox mm. and start mm. preaching. And then I think you might realize that the world is perhaps a little more complicated than what you thought. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think um, you think, oh, my God, my parents don't get it. They're these old school, you know, ignorant people with, with old worldy views. And in, in in hindsight, it was... Duncan, you're ignorant and you have a very shallow understanding of the world and you've gone from not having an understanding of what the stories are or what the values mm. are to having sort of heard them for the first time and thinking that this needs to be blanket applied yeah. as wide and as far as possible. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you another quick, really quick example. I think a current one, like capitalism bad. Well, what good? Socialism. And I think if you think about it a bit more deeply, there's a continuum. Socialism at one end and capitalism at the other end. And so something like the schooling systems are typically a lot more socialist you don't get to choose who your students are, you don't get to choose the curriculum, you don't get to choose the teachers, you don't get to choose how much teachers are paid. The teachers don't get to choose how the testing's done in Australia in inning. And I think that's actually probably right that schooling's more up the socialist end. But then they'll have a different model where they might have private schools where they get more, you know, flexibility. And then at the other end, you know, should you have it that the government, you know, socialism uh, gets to choose a lot about schooling yet, yeah, but should you have the government decide only what new businesses are? No, I think you should allow people to try lots of new things on for size. Yeah, and so that you know, that's a place to the other end, you know, brand new businesses where the government shouldn't decide. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a bit more nuanced. Some some industries should be much more up the sort of capitalist end, and some industries much more up the socialist mm. end, mm. and that they've each got a different point. Um, whereas twenty-year-old Duncan might have been like, capitalism bad, everything bad. You know, not, there shouldn't be any business. You know, blah, blah. and I'm like, no actually some parts it makes sense
1: (laughs) some parts it doesn't make sense yeah so the devil is always in the detail and Mm. this is why i i really do loathe the fact that i continually go back to the point that you make duncan which is you know x done well is good x done poorly is bad (laughs) capitalism done well is good capitalism done bad (laughs) poorly is bad Mm. um and the, um, the key takeaway here is that so you look at things like capitalism today, and you can see that is clearly not working in some areas or fair to say that it's inherently flawed. But that's not then a compelling reason to dismantle the entire system and then go full blown socialism. Um, and I think that's where you have, um, maybe not at that grand scale, I don't think that there's anyone who is um, at least on a um, main stage yet, arguing that we completely um, abandon capitalism. There are some very, very, very hard left-wing um, people who think that you should, but um, it's not part of the, uh, the, the wider conversation just yet. But there are some elements within capitalism where you, know, you look at what Jordan Peterson talks about with hierarchies, uh, and you know the people on the left say that hierarchy means that people are displaced at the bottom. Therefore, um, hierarchies are bad. Uh, and you know the the idea is that you you need to understand the nuances. So to come back to your five levels, um, I think level four is probably the most important because being aware of multiple stories. It's not like just having multiple understandings of what equality means, but it's, it's like having a, a well-rounded understanding of what all of the, like I guess, competing um, narratives around the meaning of equality is and then being able to form your own opinion from those either paradoxical or competing standards.
0: Yeah, I think this is, you know, there's, there's not, the devil's in the details, as you're sort of saying. Um and I think that it's easy to say, oh well, I don't know, the West won versus in the Cold War, and so therefore capitalism won and communism failed, and we live in a capitalist state. Uh, but then I would say that there are some countries which are much more up the capitalistic end, like the US, and some countries which are much more down the socialist end, like France, and that in certain industries, different things work well. So I think I don't know. As an example, the US they've got a pretty free market, you know, a capitalist version of healthcare. And they spend 16 cents in the dollar on healthcare. Australia and the UK have a sort of semi-nationalised, so it's partially um, socialist, partially capitalist. You can have a private and a public part. And they, from the sort of external points of view, for instance, the amount of time people live, access to you know healthcare, etc., spend eight cents in the dollar. So they've got a different model, and they get at, at least. And I'm sure there's lots of sort of new details, but all else from a top level perspective it seems like a fairly similar outcome is that the U S is spending twice as much per person. And Mm. so I think you might be able to say that the, you know, capitalist model in in, in, um, healthcare has not necessarily done the U S good outcomes there. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I think is that we need to tinker with it constantly. Mm. And that the answer for one vertical like healthcare, isn't necessarily the answer for schooling or isn't necessarily the answer for new businesses. And Mm. the world changes. So, the world's different than what it was 50 years ago. I mean, shock, you know. There are new industries. (laughs) Shock, you know. And so, even if you somehow had the perfect system for today, it's going to be wrong in a certain amount of time. (laughs) And so, I think all else equal. We've been learning how to do this better. Mm. Um, But no one's saying that it can't be improved and we shouldn't try to improve it. I I think we can. Um, And... You know, I think that there's a bit of loss of faith in the existing system because um, I think, you know, there's been more going to the top 10% of the income bracket than there used to be, say, for the previous 50 years. Mm. And even though the bottom, you know, 90% is still lifting in terms of income per capita, they're not lifting at a rate which they feel is fair and reasonable versus the top 10%. So there's unhappiness. And in the existing system, they they don't think it's been fair. Now, that doesn't mean, in my opinion, you throw out the system and you go to, I don't know, full communism. I think when they've tried it with, with Russia, China, Vietnam, wherever, it's it's led to worse outcomes than this. So, you know, democracy is the first form of government except for all other forms of government. No one's saying that we <laughs> we don't need to improve this. No one's saying we shouldn't. Mm. But I think a holist bolus, full-on throwing out of the existing system probably doesn't make sense. You know, do I think, I don't know, that universal healthcare probably makes sense? Yeah. Do I think that we should be trying to, you know, find, um, you know, tertiary education more. Yeah. Um, and so all else equal, um, I think we should be tinkering um, and, and pushing some, some areas need to take five steps, some areas one step.
1: So I think what's, um, you know, indicative of what you and I have just been talking about, a lot of things are getting more and more politicised each and every day, which is why it's really important to be able to have some kind of understanding of how your own brain develops in these <laughs> in these cognitive uh, like dissonances uh, mainly for me I think because it's very easy to get swept up in an ideology uh, but if you can stop and sit back and think to yourself well you know why do I believe what I believe what part of this is something that was simply inherited by me by Uh, other people or by my brain's, uh, you know, biology? And what parts of it do I actually, you know, fundamentally believe in myself? And to help people be able to do that, I think having a framework, kind of like the one that you've listed out here, Duncan, kind of like Keegan's model um, and even Piaget's is extremely helpful because I think, like, if I look back on when I was, you know, in the mid-teenage years, um, you know, I, was, I was living in a very socialized um, lens. I was focused more on what other people thought, whether of me or in terms of what uh, conception they had of a contemporary issue. And I would derive myself from that rather than to look to myself for what I actually truly believe. And being able to see that there are you know, several levels beyond that way of thinking could be incredibly helpful to, you know, bring awareness to a lot of people in the, in the sense that, like, there is a there is a way that you can actually transcend this. There is a way that we can be a lot more constructive in the way that we discourse competing ideas or conflicting ideologies or those kinds of things. So um, I really like your taxonomy. Um, uh, I really like to, you know, learn more about what your practical examples are that you think can help uh, walk through these.
0: Wonderful. Um, so we, we got stuck in a political sphere, which was exactly not what I wanted to do. Um, maybe I'll just run through um, sort of this from one perspective. So level one, I'm not aware of the rules and principles of the story that I, you know, permeate. So I live in Australia and I don't really have an understanding of the political, you know, current political way of doing things. Level two, I'm sort of passively aware that Australia is... Uh, you know, a pluralistic democracy and is more up the capitalism end than the socialism end, you know, all else equal, but I would say not as much as the US. Level three, I'm starting to push back and I might say, okay, well, I actually think that, for instance, the the government in Australia, uh, I can't get into this politics. (laughs) Um, I'm going to get uh, uh, someone, you know, that, um, I don't know, for instance, in Australia, we have a public and private healthcare system. Um, so it's, it's both. Um, and in, in say, Canada, they only have public. Um, so you can't, you know, and so I might say, well, I think that it makes sense to just have public. Um, you're pushing back on this. In multiple doctrines. Okay, you understand the doctrine of capitalism and the doctrine of socialism, and that you start to see them possibly as being on a continuum. Socialism at one end, capitalism at the other end. And that you think, okay, which, which industries or verticals sit where? And then level five is you're starting to create your own sort of, you know, thoughts. Okay, well, is there actually something new, um, you know, the, the different than these two? And, and how am I adding to this? So that's just one example. But mm-hmm. I thought we might go through and, and look at it from a more personal lens about how we've conceived ourselves. But before that, any questions or thoughts, James?
1: Um, what I thought would be really helpful was the, the idea of the narrative. Um, I think the process between when you, you know, let's say have a stimulus how that frames or how that shapes your response to it uh, and the ultimate outcome, which is whether it's your reaction or the belief that you form around it can be really, um, uh, I guess, directed by the narrative or the story that you tell yourself.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's look at it from a personal perspective. So the stories or narrative or values that you hold for yourself and have you developed. Um, So, Little fifteen-year-old Duncan um, thought money was cool, and you know, wearing like a brand-name T-shirt or something was cool. He know? also
1: thought Misha Barton was cool, but we no, weren't. that
0: wasn't around. That was after forever, and she was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and now, um, I think that um, no money will make you sad, but lots of money won't make you happy. Whereas I kind of thought before, the more money, the the happier, um, and. That, For instance, I would have been comfortable as a 15-year-old wearing like a name brand t-shirt. Whereas now, you could not pay me to be seen in like a Gucci t-shirt unless I was having some kind of troll against people and it would have to be a fake Gucci t-shirt to wear. Um, so, it's in an ironic sense. And so, a story that I told myself is money is cool and more money is better. And that was, I think, sort of inherited from society. I think that the West, you know, <laughs> consumerist society is like, yeah, more money equal good, better. And now I've sort of slowly made my own one which is like no I need enough money and then it's really about spending it right um and also I don't like the idea of of flaunting money I think it sends the wrong signal to people such as 15 year old Duncan and can get them to chase false idols um so this is just one story that I've changed my
1: mind on Hmm. well um A lot of things that I've read on in terms of flaunting your wealth is basically a primordial uh, act of peacocking. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair, which, which is in a sense, like, so we no longer live uh, in, um, maybe it's just cocking. You look like a dick, (laughs) (laughs) get rid of the pee in the front of it. Um, but uh, but seriously like we don't have this the same traditional dominant structure that we were conditioned by over hundreds of thousands of years um, and so in the new world where we still have deeply embedded hierarchies in our um, in our old brains you know these brains which are similar to those that are not only in other mammals but even reptiles um, you know, If you, if anyone's heard of Jordan Peterson's lobster analogy, they will hopefully understand uh, the point I'm trying to make. Um, what, what
0: James is saying is that there is some commonality with other animals, obviously not 100% the same. But, <laughs> but the co- to say that we have zero <laughs> in common with any other animal, uh, like chimps even, yeah. or lobsters, is not true. But obviously to say that we're 100% the same is obviously not as true either. Yeah.
1: Well, the argument is that hierarchies exist in nature. A lot of people um, complain that hierarchy is a symptom of capitalism and therefore it's bad. Um, It's argued that it's not a system of capitalism, it's actually a system of nature. It's in lobsters, it's in chimpanzees, it's in us. At least that's the way that Jordan Peterson um, puts it forward. Um, So in this sense, people um, who want to come across as dominant because the dominant male usually has their pick of who to procreate with, uh, in a modern sense can be seen as the successful male, and that's why they like to flaunt their wealth. So that's why Duncan had an overwhelming desire to wear Gucci tops,
0: uh tough. I was I'm so to, nobody Drive to what would literally the
1: loudest motorboat in the entire Port Steel Bay area. Like if you were in a house fifty miles away, you could hear that thing. So like you know, you, you you couldn't ignore it, that's for sure. But then so those were like our more primordial um urges, I guess would be fair to say. But um you know, they don't have to Like They they can sit at a lower level of our cognitive awareness or development, uh, but they don't have to be the sole driver of what we determine to be valuable or what we determine to be important in life. So it sounds to me like Duncan, since the ripe old age of 15, has moved beyond that more uh, uh, simplistic notion of what it is that he thinks to be um, of value to him to something a little bit more um, higher level.
0: Yeah, um, just adding one point to, to what James said. So so hierarchies can be bad, hierarchies can be good. Um, I think that you can say that humanity has been able to progress because we've been able to work together. And if you work together in a collaborative sense, often, now not always, you need to have a hierarchy to make it function well. So I think that one lens people say is that all hierarchies are bad. Now, not all are bad, um, and we collaborate together. A family is a hierarchy of, of types. You know, a sports team is a hierarchy of types. No one would say that everyone on the sports team has the same amount of value. Um, you know, the vast majority of sports teams have a captain and that you know there's some sort of working together. What you need to have happen, just sort of a Rawlsian, as in general, sort of you know idea is that the only inequality allowed means that the person at the bottom of the hierarchy gets more than they would if they were operating independently. So basically... If you have a team of 18 people in a sport, that if they were all independent, the person who is the least strong gets more from cooperating than they would if they were independent. And the person who's the strongest gets more as well because it's positive sum. And so I think this is one story which society sort of inherited. The wealth didn't used to be positive sum, um, i.e. if we collaborate, we can all get more. It's not that, um, you know, James gets more and therefore Duncan has to get less. The world used to be kind of zero sum. If you got more, somebody got less. And, you know, part of the reason for this peacocking was natural selection does not care what you think. The strongest survive. Mm-hmm. And the people who were, if you're in a tribe, um, you know, humans were in sort of tribes of 50 to 150 Dunbar's number or and then moved to little villages. Collaborating together when you were going hunting meant that everyone got more food than if it was every person for themselves. And the person who was the best hunter was the most likely to therefore, you know, have the human race uh, succeed or not die out. And so natural selection said that the best hunter should be the one we sort of, you know, want to procreate with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for instance, the reason that you think athletic people are good looking is like built deeply into our biology by natural selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they were the ones who were the most likely to be able to, you know, to continue the human race going on. Mm-hmm. So an extension of that or well, the top of the hierarchy sort of, you know, I, you know, most people probably aren't hunting for their food today. <laughs> but in terms of hunting for food, i.e. earning money to buy it, um, money kind of puts you at the top. And so a mm-hmm. story is that that mattered. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I, I don't think that you need to inherit that story. I think that what you can do is choose what is important to you, mm. and I think, for instance, helping make the world better, which might mean making money, but you do it not to make money, you know, to, to help make the world better, is is a worthier thing than trying to work just to make as much money as possible. Mm.
1: Um, just to, just to add to um, those points that you made about hierarchies, firstly, um, you know, having a value system is a hierarchy. Choosing what is more important than something else. Um, gives us a ranking of um, of values. Uh, and the other thing is that hierarchies, yes, there are some that are, well, it's not that some are good and some are bad. Um, social but hierarchies- Some are good and some are bad. <laughs> well, yeah. So There's
0: one way to be good. There's many ways to be good. Correct. There, but there are, are definitely hierarchies that aren't for the interests yeah. the best of, of all people.
1: Yeah. But it, yeah. So, but uh, social or economical hierarchies will more often lead a number of people displaced at the bottom. And so, what happens is that usually accepted in um, within a species, as long as it's not deemed unfair. So, for example, displaced.
0: In- I think is is is, a, is the wrong word, James. Good hierarchies mean that the person who was the least strong hunter gets more food than they otherwise would if they if they work together, and that's what happened. Mm. That's a Rawlsian one. So the, everyone wins. The tide right lifts all boats, and you've seen this, like the you know the the people you know I don't know wherever in in, in America even you know Europe Australia. They get access to healthcare. They get access to education. There are benefits. You know these things didn't exist hundred years ago. So there's significantly more opportunity. You know, mm. food costs less than what it cost 50 years ago. Um, you know, the internet is hopefully something which everybody you know has enough money to be able to afford. And this is the, you know all of humans' you know, information. So
1: mm. displaced is, is wrong. Hierarchies well, that work well lift everybody. Yeah. Well, in a certain length, but like take the um, you know the Homo sapien example. Um, those at the bottom of those hierarchies, even if collectively they can, you know, survive, those at the bottom don't get to procreate. Not necessarily. That's not true.
0: true. Um, So, again, typically all the females procreate but not necessarily all the males. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, that was the point. Yeah, but, like, so, again, I really think that displaced is, is, is an incorrect word. A good hierarchy lifts everybody who's part of it. Now, you need to make sure that the, so, so the pie grows, right? And everyone's piece of the pie is bigger than it would be if they weren't part of that collaboration. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not always the case. But that's why one of the reasons humans, you know, um, sort of defeated Neanderthals or Homo sapiens, because we were able to collaborate better. They were stronger and faster, but we were able to collaborate better because of language. They didn't have highly achieved, you know, developed language. Mm-hmm. And then at 1,500 humans took down 1,500 neanderthals but 1500 neanderthals versus 1500 humans was probably neanderthals were going to win (laughs) um so uh, displaced is nothing a good hierarchy lifts all boats well i think yeah
1: yeah so what i was trying to um i guess get at is that when a hierarchy does have something in it that's no longer based purely on competence there is that displacement at the bottom Um, And that's kind of what the argument is going on in places like America when it's talking about societal um, shift between, uh, you know, capitalism, where the wealth is now, what if half of the wealth is owned by the top 1%, and then there are people at the bottom who are living below poverty line. But to your point, if it was a good hierarchy, if it worked properly, um, there may be a better system around that. Um, Moving on. <laughs> um, so we... I just want to add one thing to that, if it's
0: okay. Sure. Um, the people at the bottom in America, on average, now there's always winners and losers. Um, so the other thing is like a hierarchy that tilts towards tyranny uh, doesn't necessarily have everyone win. It's not just people at the bottom. They could, so you know the people who are sort of that's where it's based on nepotism as opposed to competence, and where instead of everyone winning, it's it's accruing a bigger slice to a certain few people. You don't have to be at the bottom to lose. You could be. I don't know, under the previous regime, you're one of the favoured people, one of the keys to power. And then there is a revolution and there's a new regime that gets set up and there were five key lieutenants and typically they'll purge a bunch of the previous lieutenants. Um, and you, you were one of them and your family was one and you're no longer it. So you might have been one of the most privileged people under the previous system and now you're not. And yeah. so this is it's not just people at the bottom. It, it, it can yeah. be across the whole thing.
1: But that's um, circumstantial. That's not actually a comment on the hierarchy itself. Like if that hierarchy persevered, even though it's a bad one. That person would continue living prosperously. That was a circumstantial um, point where the hierarchy was corrupt because you're living in a tyrannical regime. Possibly. But,
0: all- but so so if you had if you went from let's say I don't know a pluralistic democracy to a tyrannical regime, there's going to be a spread of of people who are sort of more wealthy to people who are less wealthy, and we're just taking money as as the example here because there's many. I don't think money determines whether you have a good life. It could be that the top 1% under this new regime are higher, but the 99% are lower. So it's not just the bottom whatever, 10%, 99% could lose. And one of the things I say is if your country is on top of a whole lot of natural reserves, e.g. Russia with a whole lot of gas and oil, then you don't necessarily have to have – there's a broad participation of the of the um, you know population for there to be incredible wealth generated, which can be used to bribe and control the people that control power, so the, the generals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah. So again, that that sounds like a corrupted hierarchy. Where yeah, correct. The, I think it is. Um,
0: Putin, don't come and hurt me. I respect you, and
1: I. But we appreciate that you take time out of your day job to listen to us talk. Anyway. Uh, <laughs>
0: i'll tell you another story so let's let's, we've gotten way off track so another story that i changed me, like you know 15 year old duncan wanted to be famous so i basically wanted to be rich and famous and now i don't want to be well i don't not want to be rich but i don't care about you know trying to be rich um you know i want to earn enough money um and if i ever learned a lot of money i'd give all of it away um and then i also want to be famous now like specifically i don't use instagram or facebook I, i want zero followers Now, it doesn't mean I don't want to necessarily contribute back. Like, I think this podcast is hopefully James and I trying to contribute. But, you know, hopefully, you know, our faces aren't on on the podcast page or whatever else it is. So, another story that I've totally changed is I don't want to be famous. Um, I I want to be as anonymous as possible.
1: Yeah. So, um, let's talk about that then, because I think that's another lens in terms of like, it's, when you're, you know, 15 and wanting to be famous, and I think most of us would probably think that would be the case, <laughs> um, the, the, the allure of fame is adulation and um, admiration from your peers, I would think, uh, without going into all of the, the, the dark sides and the underbelly of what the cost of fame really is, um, which kind of harks back to uh, Keegan's model where we... You know, in our adolescence, are largely living through a social lens where yeah. we are m- more likely willing to take the views and opinions of others over our own. Um, and I definitely can relate to that. Like, you know, there was a time, I can't remember specifically, I would say it was definitely in my teenage years, where the prospect of being a celebrity or famous or, an ath- or, or, or a famous athlete was very alluring. Uh, mm. and, and very seductive in, you know, what it offered, apart from just abundance of wealth and, um, you know, adulation from people around the world. Um, but to your point, Duncan, like, you know, if I think about it now, it makes me cringe. <laughs> like, <laughs> if,
0: you, if you don't cringe at your 15-year-old self, then you haven't grown, I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, 15-year-old, like Duncan, but- not good, not good.
1: Not just like, like um, my 15-year-old self, but the thought of being famous is just horrendous. That's disgusting.
0: Yeah, I know it's, not, it's on my do not do list.
1: But um, like, I don't want to sound like I'm pontificating here, but I think it's an important point to get across. Um, uh, and that is that when you look at what it is about being famous that you actually value or that you actually want, you can then see how your perception of that value changes over time. And for me, the inverse of that is, I went from valuing other people's, like other people's opinion of me, drove my sense of self worth. Whereas today, it's the other way around. I determine how I value myself mm. based on mm. my interaction right. with others, um, the, how much I can help, how much I can be uh, productive at work, how much I can give back to people who are you know, important to me. Uh, those kinds of ideas, I think, are far more valuable to me today, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, I think that's perhaps an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, I don't know, 15-year-old Duncan determined value through others. You know, did I get invited to some party? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> no. friends that I had or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, long story short, no. <laughs> um, um, but now I, I sort of determine my own self-worth much more. Um mm. And so I give self-worth to myself rather than getting it from external things. It's internally drive versus externally. And so, I don't know, I want to be famous because I think that was kind of like being cool. And I think, I don't know, teenage Duncan wanted to be cool. <laughs> now I don't care. Um, so one of the things I do want to do a story is I want to contribute to the world. Um, and one of the things is I think I've been able to get so much from it. There's so much interesting stuff out there. I'll read a book or I'll listen to a podcast, or I'll talk to james or or somebody else. and and I get all these things from others. And I like to think that slowly over time I learn some things. um and I feel that if I am, hopefully I would like to try to contribute back. Um I've been able to get so much from others um and so valuable. um and then I, I hope that there's something that I can contribute. And so that's kind of where the the impetus for this podcast for me came from is to try to contribute back, mm. not to be famous. Uh, very much don't want that. Mm. But I think, you know, because I've been able to, I don't know, listen to whoever it is and get some interesting stuff, that's kind of it. So the story before, want to be famous now, it's like story before, want to have as much money. Now, no money will make you sad, lots of money will make you happy. Okay. Mm. Well make sure you've got a roof over your head, but then don't optimize for money. Optimize towards contribution. Mm. And that's how I think about, you know, the businesses I'm involved in, Ed Rollo, Our Tale, as well as things like this podcast.
1: Yeah. So according to Keegan of the adult population, so people who are over 18, um, live at this socialised mind level where uh, they see how they sit in the wider community or in society as a litmus for how they value themselves. Would that be
0: to say that they are more taking their values from external sources, James? Yes. As opposed to internal Correct. So fifty-eight percent, you said, are basically externally driven versus internally.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. So, and they can also be people who are driven by status, like they like mm. the big house, the fast car, the Gucci t-shirts, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that gives them a a platform for them to promote themselves to those around them of their own status. Uh, the next level is the self authoring mind and I think this is for uh, well, firstly Keegan says that 35% of the adult population um, is operating at this level so roughly one in three um, and this is where we start defining who we are and we're not defined by other people or our relationship or the environment and as to what Duncan pointed out that it, you actually realise that you're always changing and that is something that is fluid and negotiable not fixed and you know I am James, that, and I am X, and that's it. I don't move on that position. You're so, bad at stuff. I am bad. At you're stuff. not going to move at stuff. You're not going to move on that position. I I, <laughs> I have the worst words. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, So that's the. the um, so that, I, I think that's the, the, the crux. And what was really, um, uh, I guess, a revelation for me is that it's not like you just acquire knowledge until you get to stage four, which is self-authoring. You need to go through a transformation. You need to go from a point where you actively realise and understand that you have taken your sense of self-worth from others and you've turned it around and you've drawn it into yourself.
0: Okay. Yeah, um, the, the key point I suppose here was um, nobody can tell you what you like, you get to choose. And really? I think when, when you choose what you like as opposed to determining what you like because of what others like... Mm. Uh, it's like revelatory. Um, you know, you, you, you get to be like, oh, I can choose to like this and, th- and then just like it because I like it. Um, it's awesome. Um, and so for me, um, you, I think, well, hopefully you, you get to basically be deciding what you think is interesting and where you should be spending your time, not having it, you know, just be given to you. So the standard story of money is cool be, and want to be famous or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, might, might work for you, but you need to choose it for you as opposed to just inherit it. Um, and I think I sort of I don't know I, I just sort of thought humans stopped developing like I don't know after school or something um, but now I realize that I think I've developed more in the last year than any other year of my life hmm. and a big part of this development is like I hope that I can communicate better or whatever else it is but it's also that I've been making more of my own values and choosing to live by them hmm. and slowly but surely peeling back things and it's not I'm no longer 20 year old Duncan with a sort of one-dimensional view, capitalism bad, you know, uh, or, or something. It's like, well, no, you know, it, it, you know, what's the right circumstance for today in this different industry? And what's the right circumstance for me and other things? And so I think, you know, the stories we tell ourselves or the values that we have, you know, really can make mass- a massive difference to mm. um, your happiness um, because you can be laboring under this story which you haven't chosen and may not be working for you, it may be working against you.
1: Hmm. Um, I think one of the um one of the most great interesting... thought. <laughs> I, I, I literally, Get it out, come on. I literally interrupted myself mid sentence. So <laughs> um I think one of the like biggest challenges is it's kind of like this Dunning Kruger effect. You know, like you don't know what you do. What's Dunning Kruger for people that but, Okay, so Dunning Kruger is a theory by um
0: then but what is it? it? We don't know who they are. Dunning okay. and Kruger made a theory.
1: Come on. Um, based on the level of ignorant, has a direct correlation to your level of perceived competence. So it's, uh, I would it's, put it this way:
0: people who are bad at something mistakenly think that they're good at it because they don't know what good is. Mm-hmm. And people who are good at something mistakenly think it's easy because it's easy for them. So good people underestimate how hard something is, and bad people underestimate how difficult something is.
1: And good people can actually also underestimate themselves because they are aware of the level of complexity a task requires, whereas a bad uh, person who has no idea of the complexity, uh, let's take, for example, who knew how complicated healthcare is, um, <laughs> can overestimate their abilities yeah, um, cool. And so the example I'm drawing on here is that until, I guess... One is, or at least I am aware of an area in my life where I am not acting at a level beyond, uh, say, the socialized or even the more transactional level. Until I actually, become, that comes into my awareness, I'm operating almost blindly in that particular area of my life. Like, you know, let's just take, for example, my relationship with my life partner and my wife for 12 odd years we have been operating under the, the notion that simply our mutual attraction and set of um, fundamental shared values were more than enough for us to have a very stable and life, lo- lifelong in, um, and you know uh, I guess uh, uh, flourishing relationship. Um, but you know as we've already pointed out like, there is a whole myriad nailed it uh, of, conversation. Yeah, yeah. of um, factors that changed through all of those things and if you're not aware of how you're actually engaging in a relationship based on your uh, cognitive development then you can actually be like ships sailing in the night without a headlight so to speak
0: As in ships that sail past each other, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I agree.
0: Um, You can learn about yourself and about the world. Um, You can learn through your own mistakes um, or you can learn from others. But I think sometimes people learn, i.e. that the story that they're laboring under isn't working for them. But instead of thinking, well, I maybe need to update the story, they think, okay, well, I don't know, this person isn't right. The perfect person will complete me. And if they don't complete me, they're not the perfect person as opposed to, Maybe you should try to figure out what it is you want. Um, so yeah, anyways, we're, we're at sort of an hour and I got to roll. So a summary, um, you grow indefinitely um, or you can, uh, especially with your mind. So your body might have limits, uh, how, how high you can jump. You might be able to get better at it, but you're not going to be able to get like 100 times better. Um, some areas like language, problem solving, communication, empathy, uh, creativity, um, I think are effectively uncapped more than that, the more you learn about them, the more your growth becomes exponential. So it's not linear, like your growth is exponential. And so when I sort of realized this, it's like, oh my God. And and one part of this is that you should be trying to figure out, I think, what works for you. Um, You don't work for the, the stories you tell yourself. You create the stories and they work for you. And I've slowly been unpicking the stories that society gave to me. Um, Now, again, it'll be different for you wherever you are in your world. But the first one was work. Um, You know, uh, the best job is the highest paying job. And now it's like, no, I want to make the biggest difference to the world and earn enough money. Um, You know, picking stories about what it means to be friends, James talked about. Um, You know, what's a good friend? Um, uh, You know, what is a romantic relationship? What is family? And I think I've sort of, you know, slowly uh, adapting and adjusting uh, each stories in each part of my life. And I think that I'm probably... 50% 50% standard, 50% not standard on average. Whereas, I don't know, 15-year-old Duncan had no conception that there was a possibility to have anything except the standard story. So I was kind of like a slave to 100% of the standard story. And I don't know that would have going to be a great outcome for me long term in
1: life. <laughs> well, uh, um, very comprehensive. So uh, our minds are not just repositories of information. Um, the way I kind of Uh, describe it it, is its own living system or ecosystem where our ability to make sense of the world around us and inside of us evolves over time. Uh, Frameworks or theories like Keegan's or Piaget's or um, even people like Jordan Peterson when they talk about hierarchies are all models that really have been helpful for me to understand how my mind is not just developing through childhood and then plateauing off into adulthood. It's constantly growing. And I think one way of looking at it, it it's quite biological, the development uh, in your childhood. You know, like you're literally growing your prefrontal cortex. But in the adulthood, when your brain is, like in terms of the physical space, is more or less set. You know, you can always connect new neurons. But it's more psychological the de- development in the sense that we can go from this socialized mind where we value ourselves based on our perceived relationship with other individuals or family or community and we can level ourselves up to where we change that around to saying actually i get to decide what's important to me i get to decide what I like, what I think makes a good life, you know, provided I don't do it in a way that is harmful for others. <laughs> um, and I get to write that story. And I do it in a way knowing full well that what I hold to be true is a, uh, a moment in time. And I'm open to those beliefs to be challenged or tested and to change. And I think that's where the power in having this understanding that we are, you know, like Duncan said, we are able to develop ourselves ad infinitum. We are able to make what we want out of this life with the tools that we already have. Tools like the words that we use, tools like the developmental frameworks that uh, that we read about or we learn about, and tools like mental models that help us make sense and shape the world around us
0: schemes yep yay all right we're done um i enjoyed this um the only thing is we get to decide whether we cut parts out we've never done that um but uh, one of my rules when we started this was like don't talk about anything controversial um, <laughs> one of your rules was also don't swear and you've broken that several times
1: over the last well, year.
0: I, oh god um yeah um, so uh yeah let's hope there's nothing controversial in here anyways james I'll speak to you soon
1: cheers thank you.